0: Start with client review.
1: I think that's a really great idea. I was putting together some materials for this and I was thinking that I wasn't gonna be able to come up with anything for client review because I thought like, well, they review it and then give it back and then you're good. But I, as I started fleshing out the ideas more, I realized that there's actually a lot to this. And I think that this is one of the things that might help a translation purchaser, like maybe more than any of the two episodes we've done before.
0: I think it's one of the most complex, simple things. I think that's such a good way to put it.
1: It's so, yeah, because there's a surprising amount to it. Um, And we can get into all that. But first, uh, do you want an etymology?
0: That would be great. Is it an Italian word?
1: It is an Italian word. Oh, I I didn't even. And you know what? It was actually rather serendipitous that it was an Italian word because I did not realize this at first. Okay. And that is doubly great because the word is serendipity. So... That is... Defined. I'm drawing a
0: huge blank. I don't understand how that would be an Italian word, but let's... Oh. Y- you're going to tell me. It's you? a long walk. Okay. So
1: it is the occurrence or development of events by chance in a happy or beneficial way. And I often describe it personally as uh, being the condition of finding something that you weren't looking for.
0: The $10 in your jacket from last fall. Yes,
1: that's yeah. very serendipitous. Um, and I, that was how it was defined for me the first time I found the etymology, which was in the Oxford book of Word Origins, which I highly recommend. It comes from a novel published in 1754 um, by Horace Walpole called uh, *The Three Princes of Serendip*, and is the title of a fairy tale in which the heroes were always making discoveries by accident in City City of things that they were not in quest of, and so this. Fairy tale actually comes from an old Italian fairy tale and I'm actually gonna ask you to can you can you read that for me?
0: Wow, okay. Peregrinaggio di tre giovani figlioli del re di Serendipo published by Michele Tramezzino. Okay.
1: Yeah, so uh, that's uh,
0: what I get like the pilgrims that were three young boys who Del re is from um, the from the king of Serendipo Serendipo I guess is the town I guess. Hmm. Oh, Seren- so it's the sons of the king of Serendipo is what that is. Ah, mm-hmm.
1: well, oh, so then in English they've just the princes. made it the princes. <laughs> yeah, well. Right,
0: we'd say the princes of <laughs> Serendipo is what we would say.
1: Well, that's interesting. Do you know where Serendipo is? No idea. It is Sri Lanka. It's an old name for Sri Lanka.
0: Seriously? Yeah, okay. so it's an wow. old
1: Persian fairy tale. So it really was a long walk to get here. Um, I love it. And it's a it's a good one because I think there's a lot above, of the... The word in the word because like you think like oh you it's the name of a fairy tale end of story but then if you dig a little deeper you keep find more and more things and i went down this awesome rabbit hole in um like the uh history of the names of sri lanka and it's just choice anyway
0: <laughs> well great that was a good one pat
1: yes um but we've got business we can't just be messing around with fairy tales all day we need to talk about well, briefly, what is client review? I think it's rather straightforward, but you yeah, do you have a I, brief I, description? I
0: think that's great. I mean, typically, client review happens uh, when we engage in a translation activity. And obviously, this happens even with other activities like marketing materials or websites. There's always sort of this client review and approval phase. It's important in translation because it's essentially the client weighing in on the translation. And if they have any preferences or changes or even if they find an error or an issue they would bring it to our attention it's properly corrected and the project's completed
1: yeah that's great um and just what's your take on it yeah does that sound about right i would say that is pretty much it and it it goes exactly like that sometimes they have little corrections or they have preferences sometimes they find nothing which is you know it's good when that happens but even if they don't that's fine um i like to think of it as like my ideal client review is like highly collaborative, and I've had situations where I feel like we've arrived at some really interesting solutions and and really done like the creative work of like the translation project on all sides, like in the translator, the LSP, and the client are all like making something really interesting happen together. Um, but that, that is
0: when it's the best. I yeah. mean, when, when it is a collaborative environment, um, you know, all too often it's not, Patrick. I mean, yeah. some sometimes. Um, sometimes there's political agendas you know sometimes the subject matter expert is say a salesperson in country who uh, a friend used to handle the translation or a translation service provider there used to handle it and now they sort of have a chip on our shoulder and they're saying you know sometimes we'll even hear well how can how can a translation services firm in the U.S. Uh, provide a good translation in Chinese or in Italian or French and they don't realize that, of course, they were using native speakers and sometimes they're even in country. Uh, But the reason that the company will do it is they want to centralize the translation effort. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there's a political agenda or sometimes there's just the interest in not collaborating and and that makes it tough. Uh, And
1: I mean, also, there are just more pieces, there are more parts, and that makes anything more difficult just by the nature of there being a more complex project yep. so
0: and there's sometimes clients will make it complicated because instead of having one reviewer they say you know I'm gonna bounce it off these three people so mm-hmm. and that's always tough I think with any project and I always explain it to clients that you know let's say that let's say it's a spec sheet or a brochure or a manual if you gave the English to three people and said hey what's your opinion on this? Yeah. you're gonna get three varying opinions and that's always tough um, you know, we, we've done reviews where there's even been as many as 10 people weighing in and all 10 oh my gosh. had disagreement on terminology and tone and that that's, that's when it gets really sticky.
1: Yeah. Do you remember, um, there's that adage that like, um, a camel is a horse built by consensus.
0: <laughs> yes, I have heard that. That's I think,
1: I actually <laughs> think that's kind of a blast on camels. I think camels <laughs> are just right the way they are and a camel is a camel, you know, but, uh, I do think it it does speak to something. Mm-hmm. We can talk about how to how to make that perfect environment and how to really like nurture a good Mm -hmm. uh, client review. But I thought that maybe we could talk a little bit about why clients would want to consider uh, doing a client review. Sure. So I just had a couple ideas. I think that um, one of the reasons that clients will request client review with me or even that I would recommend a client review with a customer is when they are trying to. Test us out as an agency. So their first time working with an agency, I think it is like totally healthy and an absolutely a good idea to do a client review. If you have in-house linguistic resources who are able to do that, to make sure that the work is something you like. You know, I always think like if you're not comfortable taking our word for it, don't take our word for it. Like Mm -hmm. we do good work, and you know, if you're working within an agency
0: that you know is confident in their work, they should be willing to. Uh, go through that. Well, and I think it's gained over time. So I, I think that's a really good point, Patrick. And um, if if a client wants to engage in doing some reviews for a while or even you know spot checking documents, maybe they don't have the time to review every single one. Mm-hmm. But that trust is gained over time. And after having materials reviewed, I, we have some customers that have been with us for 23 years and they don't do a whole lot of checking anymore. Uh, it's more of a spot check. But mm-hmm i think it makes perfect sense uh to be engaged and and i think it's a good follow-on is that i also think it it provides buy-in in In other words if if you're doing brochures or you're doing user manuals and you're saying to your sales teams abroad hey you're gonna have to use these materials this website these spec sheets uh when you're selling the products you probably want some buy-in you know in other words um, if they have the ability to chime in on what's being used, well, that's going to give them confidence in selling the product. You know, mm-hmm. that's sort of an example. And, and also on that political issue that I talked about earlier where people are saying, well, gee, how can you take that control away from us? You know, we're, we're running this country office. We're running the Italian office or the French office or the German office. How can you take that control of translation away? Um, having those folks involved in a client review will also get you better buy-in um i I know you and i were chatting this morning as well uh in discussing the show that uh, it's also an idea of the best use of time right so if Mm -hmm. you have a salesperson that's your subject matter expert in country uh, is their time best suited selling product yeah or or doing translation you know a lot of clients will come to us say well you know, we're doing these in-house, we're doing this with our salesperson in Italy, and we have an admin in Germany, and you know they have this sort of web of people that have volunteered to do the translation. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that happen. People leave. Yep. They're not using translation memory, so they're not capturing the translation. So in other words, they're having to retranslate every single time. So there's, there's problems with that. And again, that best use of time. If I have a, a salesperson in-country, I want them to sell product, I don't necessarily want them to do translation. They're not going to be as efficient as a language service provider or a translator will be.
1: Sure. So uh, buy-in is a really great example of why someone would want to. Um, I was also thinking, and this is something that we talked about with MT and um, to a certain extent translation memory, but not so much. MT being uh, machine translation. That was sensitive materials. So uh, if you're asking your LSP to handle materials that have a big influence on your brand or that maybe have like certain uh, legal specifications, it's probably a good idea to do some review on your end because you know what you need. Also true of a uh, terminological specificity, like if your company has a, a set of terms that they are beholden to for standards or compliance reasons. And of course, linguists are able to Accommodate terminology, uh, and that's something that I would love to talk about. and It's like a whole field in translation, but um, yeah, we'll know, definitely
0: do a show on terminology at some point. You know, it,
1: ha- having a check on that is a good idea if that's something that you're concerned it's a, about.
0: It's a great idea. I, I mean, I, I think that's another one of the important reasons of doing a client review process is to get that that in country knowledge or that subject matter expert knowledge. That's where we really want client reviewers to weigh in, and I think they can add the most impact. Is Input on product names, you know, are we translating it, are we not? Input on terminology, you know, in the field we use this. I know that this is common, but for our company in the field we use this term. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of thing that even an expert translator is not really going to know unless they work inside the organization. So from a branding perspective, from terminology control, that's really good. And from a legal aspect as well, you know, we we do a lot of merger and acquisition work, Mm -hmm. and sometimes that content is protected and and they really don't want it to be uh, widely known through the company. So it's better to have a third party that's secured under an NDA to handle the translation so then that news doesn't go crazy internally. Mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, sort of on the the bad side of that, we've also done some employee news where we're talking about layoffs or things that are sensitive to the stock price. And that's material that you know, really can't be handled internally mm-hmm. until it, until it's released by corporate communications
1: yeah another another legal thing that has come up for me was um, I was working on a project and it, we had client review where a product title w- contained a word that was trademarked and so the translator translated it and they were like, oh you can't use that word because it is trademarked so like that was something that we ran into so that was like a legal issue that was like important to them or they're um, for some nonprofit organizations like grant writing can have very specific terminology i remember i was working on a project where it was uh english into spanish and infantil is like the adjective form of child so like for you know child menu or whatever it'd be like menu infantil and it is a cognate to infant and then the client was very uncomfortable with that because like an infant is defined differently than like a toddler and they have like all these age ranges and they're like it can't look like infant it can't be infant and you know that was something that we ended up working with them on because Mm -hmm. that is that is something that is specific to their world and their environment that doesn't really match with
0: the maybe the rest of spanish Mm -hmm. usage Mm -hmm. but like that is like a conversation that we were able to have something that we were able to fix for them that happens sometimes that the end result may be something that we're not comfortable with but it sort of has to be that way for whatever reason maybe it's because it coordinates with a piece of software or there's some government guideline that they're following or some organization above them that requires the language to be such i remember in early days of packaging we had a client, and maybe you can chime in because, of course, Spanish isn't my language. Uh, Italian is, is my language. But um, the word for kit in Spanish, juego, yeah, yeah, it, it also can mean a game or something. Yeah. or a toy. So uh, this client was very hung up. They had uh, studied a bit of Spanish and mm-hmm. said, oh, my gosh, we make very serious products. These, oh, sure. This is not a game. We cannot use this word. And, of course, we had to oblige and come up with an alternative, even though it really wasn't. Uh, Common and eventually we won when we when we came up with some competing products and all using that word for kit saw that really in the marketplace that was the appropriate term but in the meantime we certainly had to oblige yes the customers packaging and they have a bit of a say in it as well right
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and I, I think that that just speaks to the whole idea that it's about collaboration and ultimately ownership of the client the clients ownership in the product but let's not get ahead of ourselves I think we've sold people on the idea. They've like decided, like I'm thinking about my project. I've decided that client review is for me. I want to do this round. What does that look like? What is the workflow?
0: That's a that's a great question, Patrick. I think it is valuable um, for those that are listening and looking to, gee, how, will I add this to my translation process? What is the the workflow? What does it typically look like? And Maybe we can even chat about some best practices. How long should it take? Yeah, how long should it take and how much should it cost? 13 seconds and a (laughs) million dollars. No. Um, You know, it really depends. I I think those are great questions as well. And we can can dive into that when we get into the workflow. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So obviously the translation occurs first. And, you know, there's all sorts of best practices around choosing the best translator. We won't, for the sake of this conversation, we'll assume that that's already understood. So there's a translation step in that there might actually be an editing pass as well you know some of this is determined through collaboration with a client mm-hmm. in other words you know what is their budget are we following an iso standard what is it that they would like so it can go you know translation then an editing pass by the language service provider mm-hmm. and then the reviewer would chime in and there might be a little bit of a collaborative step there where there's some questions back and forth on what to use in the final translation mm-hmm. and then it would go uh, it would be returned to the language service provider where the changes would be made in the working files as well as the translation memory and then it would go to you know desktop publishing and there might even be another round of review mm-hmm. but for the sake of this discussion i think we should focus on that collaborative step right where the changes come in and you know what does the translator do and maybe you can speak to that a little bit so okay the review comes back there's 20 changes on this document. You so know What does that look like?
1: Sure, and these are changes that have come from the client, and from they the are client. saying, mm-hmm. like, we sent this to our team in Italy, for example, and they feel this way, and they send me a marked-up Word file, or whatever, it can be whatever. Then our translator isn't just going to go into our system and make all those changes and call it a day. They're going to look at the edits, and then they are going to make a decision about whether or not they agree with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have the end saying it either. They're going to come back and a lot of, most of the time they'll just say, yeah, this looks good. I would maybe say this differently or this fits with what I've been saying. But sometimes it might be the case that, oh, the client wants to use a, a different term for something that I have been saying in another way this entire time. So it would make it inconsistent. So like this change would create inconsistencies or this change is inappropriate for this register and that would start the conversation and normally what we arrive at is neither what the client had in mind or what the translator had in mind but like a a better new answer
0: and these things are all important right patrick because if we've been doing translation for a client for a while they may have a bunch of material in the translation memory mm-hmm. they may have a bunch of material that's already out on packaging or manuals that are already out there and that's a really important step for that translator to say gee for the last six reviews you've been happy with the terminology that's all released material now you're trying to change that and we're really doing a service to the client saying hey Mm -hmm. you, you may not want to make this change here are the things to consider I'm just curious I th- think I know the answer but and why do you think that happens is it different reviewers is it just a different day I mean why, why do you think that uh, those inconsistencies happen
1: I mean I think that those inconsistencies happen for all of the reasons that we have translation memory like exactly what you're saying like it, it might sound off I've definitely been working on things as a translator where I have made two different choices my, I mean maybe even based on like my mood on mm-hmm. like how to say something mm-hmm. and then I'll say like oh that doesn't look any good and I'll change it and then I'll review again and change it back.
0: And that's okay. Yeah, it's I mean, it part can happen, process. but you're you're doing your job as a project manager by just telling the client that here's here's what's going to happen. If we're going to make this change here in this document, we're going to need to go back into the translation memory, make those changes consistently so that when similar material comes up again, mm-hmm that we're following this current set of wishes rather than jumping back and forth, right? I mean, that's...
1: Exactly, and I think that that's one of the benefits of having a translation company is that they are managing your translation memory actively and they're using it. So like, it probably is not the case that your reviewer is wrong, that that correction isn't good, but that it's it's there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What happens when they're dead wrong? What if the reviewer comes back and they just miss the boat completely misspelling typo incorrect usage
1: well that's something that we are gonna talk about or do you want to get into it now do you want to talk about what makes a good reviewer
0: well i think that maybe that's a good transition do we talk about this stuff enough i guess did i talk think about finalizing in the collaborative place i mean we could talk about what makes a good reviewer i don't want to jump around though
1: oh sure so what i would say to that what if your reviewer is just wrong point blank yes um if your company, if the agency that you're working with is a good agency, they're gonna stand up and they're gonna say, like, listen, we can't do this for you. And explain it, right? Talk yeah. About what, why? Here's why. I have is... written some like choice essays, essentially, <laughs> 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 kind of like making my case for for why we believe that something is the case. I've sent people links to entries into the um, Royal Academy of Spanish's official dictionary and like. They're, they're the people who know, you know. Right.
0: And things like that. And, and that's doing your job, Patrick, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. N- you should, I mean, of course you don't want to be a jerk about it. but No, like, of course not. See, I, I, always, I always say that one of the things that makes for a good project manager, a good editor, a good translator is thick skin, right? I mm. mean, people are all entitled to their opinion, but if we're doing our job, we have to talk to people about what's right. And preferential changes are essentially okay just as long as they don't create a bunch of damage but things that are incorrect we're not doing our job in fact i would say to translation buyers that if the client review process goes too smoothly in other words that you just throw things over the fence and mm-hmm. you never hear boo one way or the other and the changes are just made i mean that's something that should probably cause you some concern i mean and, and i guess one thing that maybe we didn't spend enough time on as well is that that Uh, another point that the role of the translator has is to make those changes consistent. In fact, we typically encourage clients that, you know, if if they're doing a manual and there's a term that repeats itself a few hundred times, we'll just mark it once and say, make this global. The the translator has all the tools to make that change globally and not just do a blind search and replace, but Mm -hmm. make sure that if there's conjugation involved or a change in gender or something that has to happen.
1: I wanna make this extra clear to anyone. Mm In most cases, you cannot just search and replace the word. (laughs) No, (laughs) you cannot. Regardless of the language, you can't do it in English. It's like not. I mean, maybe sometimes. We've had some very.
0: We've had some very ambitious clients, in which I appreciate the energy. We've had some very ambitious clients say, hey, you know, our reviewer made this change, so I just did a search and replace. And, you know, there's languages with declensions. I mean, you can't, there's just a lot of things you you can't do that. There's quite a lot to it. And
1: I don't know, sometimes you get lucky and they want to change it to, like, another word that is also, like, has the same profile. Like, it's a masculine word or, you know, this or that. And it's just like, oh, like, you still have to go through and do it manually, but you're like, man, I really lucked out that,
0: like... Yeah, sometimes you're okay, but... Like, thank God that wool is feminine in check. Like, I don't have to do too much work here. Like... <laughs> but, you know, we have to let the translator make those decisions, right? So they're... Exactly. Exactly. So um, that's great. So you want to talk about what makes a good reviewer? Or... Yeah, yeah. I, I think
1: that that really wrapped up. The last thing was implementing the changes and finalizing includes yes. a complete review of the entire text in order to make sure that those edits from the
0: client reviewer are consistent and handled properly, no additional typos entered, right? It's yeah. all the, the the proper QA stuff. I mean the meat of it, I guess kinda of wrapping that, that up is right, the meat of it is that collaborative that's where the that's where yeah. the goodness is. That's happens. where the magic happens. I yeah. I
1: sometimes I get like really excited when there's like a really good client review. Mm-hmm. And like it can be difficult and it sometimes has a lot to do with the choice of the reviewer. So let's talk about that.
0: Yes, exactly. Because that, I think, is one of the things that really makes that process work or not work. I mean, it's the, the poor choice. I mean, what are, what are some of the things that you think make a good reviewer in terms of qualifications? I
1: think that it comes down to two kinds of knowledge. And making this distinction is going to be important throughout the rest of this discussion of what is a good reviewer. And I believe that there is... Linguistic knowledge, which is like your competence in the language and your ability to communicate in the language And you know someone who is completely fluent in a language is not necessarily someone Who has all of the linguistic knowledge necessary to do the work for instance? I am a native speaker of English But there are certain kinds of writing that I don't do because I'm not trained in that and that's like a next level next tier Like
0: like instructions for use for a brain catheter. Not, yes, not your thing. I
1: I Funnily enough, uh, every weekend I write my brain catheter. <laughs> no uh, th- there are certain things that I that I'm not qualified to write. Uh, I'm you know I'm not certified in technical English writing and there are special rules that go along with that in certain like copy editing. I'm certainly not a copy editor. That is a level of linguistic skill that goes beyond native like speech or native speech. And the next is area knowledge so you know maybe it isn't your job to write but it could be your job to make brain catheters and so that is like a level of knowledge that is really important and needs to be considered so if a client review is happening and you're going to someone because of their linguistic knowledge that person needs to be fully competent at the level of a professional technical writer in the target language and then if you are talking if you're giving it to someone for their area knowledge then that person needs to be a fully competent speaker of the native language who is not trained as a writer but has a uh, high mastery of skill in the area that is being addressed.
0: That makes total sense.
1: And if someone is like a technical writer who also has deep area knowledge and is fully bilingual and competent in the source and target language, you know, like send us their number. Like, <laughs> we, we would love to have them work for us. And many of our people, many of our translators do. Uh, we have a translator who is a, a physician, but also is a highly competent translator yeah and so she
0: decided not to practice and uh, has become an incredibly skilled translator she even finds she's really great at finding issues with the source i mean we, we we help our clients out because she knows the material so well that she can even look at things in the source which is nice mm-hmm. so that's
1: that's really what we're looking at so you want to have either hyper strong linguistic knowledge or very good linguistic knowledge and area skill
0: i think i have a good story to share about that i would
1: love lay it on me. So
0: it's it's and it's not to make fun of anyone, but it's mm-hmm. it's a good story of what isn't a good reviewer. Is this a good time for that? Yeah, go or, for okay, it. I great. think that's fine. So we uh, we handled a brochure uh, through an intermediary, so it was an ad agency, and it was for a company, it's a manufacturer, they make machinery. It's woodworking machinery, and we get a frantic call from the project manager. She says, "Oh my, oh my gosh, the the client is on the floor of a trade show right now." And has a customer in front of them and says they don't understand one word of the brochure. They, they, they don't even think it's Spanish. Wow. I said, wow. I'm like, we had a great team, our team that specializes in manufacturing. The lead linguist was actually uh, an engineer. Hmm. Can't imagine that it's not intelligible. So I said, well, can we conference in the client? I would like to chat with a client if that's okay. So she, she conferences in, in the client, and I say... Gosh, who who is this client of yours? Are they a native speaker of Spanish? Well, no, no, not a nat- not quite a native speaker. And I said, well, well, who is it? Tell me a little bit about you know what their qualifications are, what um, you know why they would be interested in this brochure. And he said, well, it's one of my good customers, and his sixth grade son is with him, and um, he's studying Spanish right now. My no. <laughs> So I had one simple question, and I think it summarizes a little bit of this discussion and what you bring, what you, what you uh, brought up as qualifications. I said, do you think he understands the English? Yeah. That's a- so there was a long pause, and he said, no, he has no idea. So I, I had a good chuckle, and I said, listen, you have to understand that at that level of Spanish, they're trying to find a bathroom. You know, ¿Dónde está el baño? You yeah. know, that's about the Spanish they're talking about. They're not talking about lathes. They're not <laughs> talking about heavy equipment. Uh, it just isn't covered in sixth grade Spanish.
1: Yeah, and I—that is actually one of the biggest complaints I have of sixth grade Spanish—is that they really aren't covering. Spending time. Enough. Yes, exactly. I remember yes. when I want I would go from Spanish to woodworking and I would feel lost. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, that's that's really funny. I really like that. Um, but I
0: mean, it brings up the point of you know, really the yeah. qualifications. I mean, all too often we have clients and. Um, Gosh, you know, my folks are heritage speakers of, uh, of Italian and English. They were immigrants here. And, you know, all too often, what we'll hear, especially with Spanish, is that, you know, people will, um, you know, pull someone off of the shop floor and say, hey, can you read this? And what they don't realize is that, you know, perhaps that heritage, heritage speaker's knowledge of their own language isn't great. I mean, they may have a very limited education in Spanish. And now you're giving them something that's incredibly complex and it, it might be above their understanding of the language.
1: Yeah, and I think that the important thing is there's, there's nothing wrong with picking a, a reviewer who, well, there is something wrong with picking a reviewer who may not be qualified. But I think there's nothing wrong with having limited linguistic knowledge and taking a look at it and being invested. Like, let's say that you are someone who has knowledge of Italian. Or, like, let's say before you went to school for Italian, you grew up with Italian in the home. And you were given an Italian document and looked at it and something seemed wrong to you. There's nothing wrong with you asking about it or saying, like, I don't really know what's going on here. And we are more than happy to help you with that. But when you're picking your reviewer and you want to have this person be part of this, like, constructive conversation about going forward, you really want to pick someone who has those skills. Yeah. And the other thing that mm -hmm. I wanted to pull out was has the time. Because I don't know how many times I have had things sit in client review just for ages.
0: Yeah. And that doesn't help anyone either. I mean, because essentially they've made an investment in that first translation pass and, and really, you know, maybe you're keeping product off the shelf or if it's something for, you know, human resources, maybe you're not able to engage with the other employees because this handbook that was supposed to be translated isn't done. And I I think those are great points. I, I mean, for me, one of the things that I like to think about is, well, who's the target audience? And, I mean, that's really a good idea. So, for example, if we're doing an HR document for a client,
1: mm-hmm.
0: say it's a summary of their benefits or an employee handbook, and they want to take it out to the shop floor and say, hey, how does this read to you? Well, that's important feedback because mm-hmm. now we're talking about a user. Yeah. But if we're looking at you know, an IFU and instructions for use for something that's incredibly complex, yeah. I mean, you have to look at – Who's the user? It's just like we do in English, right? Yeah. When you write a document and say, is it the proper register? Are we meeting the needs of the user? I, th- I think that that's really important.
1: So I'm going to spit out a couple use cases or scenarios at, me, at mm-hmm. you, and then you can tell me if you think that they are good ideas or not. These, okay. Um, no. Just totally totally improv, not even in the notes, but I was thinking, do you think it is a good idea to test your text on a trusted customer? Do you think that would be a good choice?
0: That's not bad. I think that's, that's a good use case. The thing you have to worry about is that you know you're taking that client's time and you, you have to put some parameters around it so yeah. i'd say here's the type of feedback that we're looking for so mm-hmm. i know we've done that even with marketing materials and such with our own clients i think mm-hmm. you have to value their time
1: sure so. excellent and um what about involving another agency have you ever dealt no. with a situation with that like
0: it's a competing conflict now i So we have relationships with agencies, and we have one client who requires a third-party review, Mm -hmm. but we have a collegial relationship with this agency. So in other words, they're not trying to unseat us as the translation service provider. Mm -hmm. But if you just, if you say, hey, listen, um, you know, if you're the client and you you approach another translation service provider and say, hey, listen, I'd like you to review the work of this agency,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, they're going to try to find something. And... I guess unless you have the knowledge to understand that they're just finding stylistic changes, I, I don't see that as a good a good yeah. use of time. All
1: right. Well, that's interesting. So since we've considered some of what goes into a good reviewer, I guess we can talk about some of the technological components of implementing a review. Oh, that, that'd be great. Let's take a break.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, so you know that we are a hip, technology-forward company. We, we like technology, yes. We have a ping-pong table. We're technology people. A-
0: absolutely. <laughs> that, that qualifies us as a technology But
1: people. But seriously, it is one of the things that we bring to the table, and so I wanted to talk about how technology influences client review. So there are lots of really great ways that you can build client review into your workflow so that it integrates with your technology. An example is that we will use certain kinds of markup. Like if you use track changes in Word, for example, you can format that in a way that it will import directly into your TM once the translator has reviewed it.
0: So what does that look like? So for the customer, what are they going to get? Let's say someone says, hey, here's a brochure to translate. What are you going to give their client to give to the reviewer? Sure. So
1: the first thing I'm going to give them is instruction. So like I have like, and they're not like too terribly detailed. They're, you know, just some easy instructions. Not a 100-page manual? No, just a simple sheet that gives them a lowdown on what what we're about and what what they should be doing, how they should be implementing these technologies. So I give them the instructions, and along with that, I give them a two-column bilingual review file. And these are really great. So essentially what it does is it breaks it into segments, which are the same segments that the translator uses, and on one side it has the source language, on the other side it has the target language. So in our case, it would have the English over on the right, and then the Italian on the left. And then your reviewer can go through and track changes and see both, make choices, and it saves them a lot of time because they don't have to flip through papers or like switch between windows on their screen. Once the translator gets it back, they can make edits to their edits as per the discussion that we talked about, Mm -hmm. and then import that right into the translation memory, and then that will influence... Your memory, and also you can generate target files from that, and so it just streamlines everything and makes things more consistent and makes things a little more accident tight, like airtight.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you do that? Uh, do you do that step before desktop publishing or before final formatting? So you know, for our listeners, you know, most of you will do documents in InDesign, and it might be a highly formatted brochure. So what we're talking about is: Do you do that after layout, or?
1: Well, a lot of people will do two rounds. Um, you're going to want to do this before layout because whenever you make changes, that'll affect the the way that your text looks. So if you're doing something in InDesign, you might need to move around the, some maybe spaces or...
0: The bulk of the changes then happen in that first pass before desktop publishing. After desktop publishing, it might just be some... Uh, formatting stuff, or gee, move this paragraph, sort of thing, mm-hmm. or is that the type of changes you get? I mean, the hope
1: is that once everything goes to the desktop publisher, everything is perfect. So all of these changes, especially things that are going in the TM and stuff like that, will will be done before you send to desktop publishing. Then you'll have your designers make the final file, and then once that's done, we'll send it back to the linguist, and they'll look at it and be like, okay, this makes sense. Nothing was cut off everything is readable and usable and then we have our final file and then we'll deliver that
0: well and I I think you know that's really important as well Patrick Because one of the common complaints that we hear from our reviewers is when we first engage with a client and we engage with a reviewer we'll hear oh gosh I make the same changes over and over and over again I wish there was a way and of course we quickly let them know that Um, in our process there in any good process doesn't have to be our our own (laughs) in any good client review process those changes are made in the translation memory so that then the next time that sentence or that content comes up again the translator is using what the reviewer wants to see so you're essentially making changes um, once and not uh, over and over and over again
1: yeah and that is a huge part of a good client review i mean it needs to be efficient and if you're working on uh documents that are similar or doing updates you should have less and less to do yeah great
0: on. great point over time the translators get to know what the reviewers like i would imagine
1: yeah and mm-hmm. that that's it that's a good client review
0: great outstanding so what did we learn today patrick what did we learn Yeah. So again, um, what sort of take homes do uh do our listeners get
1: um don't have children do your client review
0: (laughs) yes especially if it's heavy equipment
1: a great thing to take home is that client review can be fun like that seems really cheesy but i honestly believe that it can be a part of your process that feels good if you set expectations in the beginning that are good you make sure that everyone has the time to do the work is qualified to do the work and is ready to move forward in a collaborative way, you can arrive at some really extraordinary solutions to difficult problems.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's a really important point uh, for me as well. I think what is important to take away is that this should be a collaborative process, not a competitive process. And the sooner you can get to that sort of collaborative state of well-being, you're gonna get better products, you're gonna get better translation, it's going to take less time to get things through the process and approved, and you'll have better buy-in as well. We hope we've bought some time or, or given back some time to those the, the subject matter experts so they can do what's important, which is their primary job function, be it sales, marketing, whatever they're doing in-country.
1: Yeah, well, um, I feel great about it. Thanks for chatting with me about client review. I'm going to go home uh edit this podcast, send it to you, see what you think, and then maybe you can send it to me, and then I'll decide if I agree with what you have to say about it and
0: call it a day. <laughs> that sounds like a client review process. Yeah, actually. no, yeah. I think that would be pretty meta <laughs> if a client reviewed uh, the, the podcast. Absolutely. It was great. I, I hope this was valuable, and I'll uh, look for some resources that we'll make available in terms of best practices and such on our website uh, underneath the link for this podcast. Sounds good. Well,
1: thanks for listening. And Peter, thanks for coming in.
0: Absolutely. And thanks for picking an, another Italian word for that. I'm,
1: I think I can keep up this, yes. this streak. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good
0: one. Thank you.